0: Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non neurotypical lens. On this week's episode, we talk about a change in mindset. We do this through reflecting on the famous quote, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Throughout this episode, we reflect on the difficulties of taking responsibility for your decisions, exercising control over your actions, and doing away with the idea that you're not worthy of your potential key concepts we talked about is the difference between lapses in knowledge and lapses in judgment, internal versus external validation, and automatizing your decision making. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change a show. Hey David.
1: Hey Winston, how's it going?
0: Good man. How are you? How was your uh, time off?
1: Time off was good. Uh, I'm excited to get rolling with a bunch of stuff now, though, as well.
0: Well, um, I'm glad that this is this is a start of our our new season for highly functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because of that, I thought let's start with. I, the groundwork of what we need to realize as we become more and more highly functioning people. Uh, and so that might sound like a load of crap, but um, where I'd like to start is this one specific quote that I think is very, and I know you hate when I say this, near and dear to my heart, um, which is the quote that commonly gets attributed to Nelson Mandela, uh, but it's actually from a woman, Marianne Williamson.
1: Williamson. Trans- uh, President. Did you know that? Pardon? And she ran for the Democratic nomination in this most recent election.
0: Oh, yeah? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. Um, but so let me read the quote. Most people have already, probably already heard it, but let me read it just to, just to cover my end.
1: It's Coach Carter fame. It was in 2004. It was quoted in Coach Carter.
0: That's actually where I first heard of it as well. Um, and the character, if you haven't seen the show, is amazing. Uh, but let me read it. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? There's more that the the quote has, but I think we thought that it's best to stop there because that's the meat and potatoes of the entire quote. Um, But the reason why I brought this up is because I find that, at least for me in my own personal experience... One of the hardest hurdles to get over was the fact that, hey, you are talented. Hey, you are beautiful. You do have what you are worth it to go after success or go after what you value. And another big caveat that I, it took me a while to realize this was one of the barriers I was setting up for myself was that I almost didn't want to try at it because I was afraid that I would fail. And if I would fail, it would be a really clear example to me as to um, why – it would be a clear example to me that, oh, you actually couldn't do it. How could you even think that you could go after this success? And the fear that that might become my realization was something that I – almost implicitly or without almost me knowing or not paying enough attention to would stop me from trying something and instead be like, that's easy. I could do it if I really tried, but I'm not putting effort into it. But if I did, I'd be successful. And this was a specific like hurdle that I had to get over and to apply myself. Cause I find that like everyone loves, everyone says they love failure, but we don't always love failures. So, the people who've tried something and then failed at it, we tell ourselves that we love these people who put their risks out there and things like that. But we don't, we sometimes look at them as like spoiled goods and things. I was so afraid that that might be me that I'd just be like, hey, it might be better off if I go down this path saying he didn't apply himself. But if he did, it would have been crazy. And now I understand that's stupid and that's idiotic now. But this is something that I had to get over. And I thought was a relevant topic that you might have some insight into.
1: So I have two main things I want to bring up, but first I want to ask how, what you just outlined relates to the quote directly, because I actually think you're misunderstanding the quote.
0: Okay. What do you mean
1: by that? Cause you just outlined how your fears were failure, right? Mm-hmm. But the quote is saying, no, that's, you were misunderstanding your own fears that your fears weren't failure, even though you thought they were your actual fears were success.
0: So maybe, and I could totally see what you're saying with that, but the way I interpreted the quote, or at least at the time, the way I interpreted the quote was that you were afraid to apply yourself because I might intrinsically believe that I am powerful beyond measure and that I am someone that I can put, if I put enough effort into it, I will be, I might not be the greatest, the best at something, but I will have something to show for. But I was so afraid to possibly have that, view in my head fall apart that I didn't want to apply myself. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think that clarifies a little more and sort of bridges the gap between how the two of us were thinking about it, because I think it's sort of both, because I was going to start by highlighting not not literally everyone's deepest fear is that they're uh, powerful beyond measure, right? So like the idea is it's like a psychological approach to things, right? Like that There's some fundamental root cause, but no, it's not for literally everyone. And so what you just outlined is more so clarifying that that there is a fear of failure, but it's related to you don't want to think of yourself as great in case you do fail rather than the actual failure itself. Because if you start to think of yourself as great, then you happen to fail, it like devastates your own view of yourself, right? So you have to sort of either be certain you're great, even if you fail, which is like what we wanna work towards, I suppose, or people just don't want to view themselves as great at all, right? And then it's interesting to try and get into, okay, the case we're now talking about, which is you don't want to fail because it would disrupt your view of, like, because you're fearful of letting yourself feel like you're great. How does that apply directly to the quote? Um, One thing I want to add as a side caveat, though, is Like I have very specific theories as to why this is the case for everyone, but that's more philosophical. So we won't, I don't think we should get into why many people do have this fear, like sort of in the culture, but more so if you do, if you as an individual does, how does it manifest in you you and me? And how can we work to change that rather than why is it the case that we feel this way? Um, Because those are different issues.
0: I think a good place to start would be first, let's talk about our experience, right? Let's talk about why that's happened to us and like validate the idea that this is possible or this actually happens to many people. And then we can get into, and like, I'm guessing some of um, how you came up with why we feel this has to connect back to your personal experience. So I think that'll tie the knot as to how that makes sense, as to why you how you felt it and why you think yourself as well as people like yourself feel this way. And then we can talk about how you might have gotten away from or how it's still a battle that you have to deal with.
1: No. So I want to venture away from talking about why, broadly speaking, because I, like, I can talk about, I can try and think of specific examples as to why I felt that way, but it's more so I think it's a cultural phenomenon based on the prevailing views and philosophies, right? So most many people feel this way because of like the mainstream views, right? Um, but then people might disagree and we might disagree on on that, right? So I'd rather focus, yeah, on the personal aspect of, okay, we feel this way. If someone's listening to this, they feel this way. How do we move forward? Like what's going on that got them there is a sort of different issue, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And the reason why I actually like m- interpreted this quote this way is because in the movie for Coach Carter, at least – the way I remember the movie and correct me if I might, have, uh, I might uh, say the movie the wrong way. And of course, spoiler alert for anyone listening. Um, but the main character that actually at the end stands up and says this quote, throughout the movie, that's his problem, right? He doesn't want to apply himself. He doesn't want to uh, spend time at practice, do all the things that everyone needs to do because worst case scenario, you can use the excuse, listen, I grew up in a broken home. I have horrible situations that no one else has. And it gives you the opportunity to make the excuse to get out of there. And I personally resonate with that because like, I can think about um, times in which I might be getting ready for a competition or getting ready for a big exam, whatever it may be. And people might be relying on me, but part of me in the back of my head, there's a little voice that's going like, find some way to get out of the situation. Like, I don't know, say that you're sick, your stomach hurts, whatever it is, even if it doesn't let you get out of the situation, at least it gives you enough of a buffer to say, oh, I was off my game that day. That's why we didn't do so well. And like, I'd like to say most of the time, I'd never actually went ahead and do that. And I've had situations where it was so overwhelming that I canceled. But most, I know enough to know that every time I step in that situation, that voice is in the back of my head. And to me, it's most about quieting that voice and like almost going through affirmations to know that like, you'll be okay. But that voice, depending on if I failed recently or if the last two things have failed gets louder and louder and it's 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 something that I, I is that something that you also like have to go through
1: so not like that and i also think the voice can be rid of right like i do i don't think it's like healthy to have the voice like at some volume so to speak right like i my experience was because i think this came up in our episode about imposter syndrome i would sort of overcorrect to the extreme right so I always, like, was certain of myself, so to speak, because I think we talked about self-esteem having, like, two aspects, able to live and worthy of living, Mm -hmm. right? You feel you're able to live, you're efficacious, and you're worthy of living, you're a good person. Um, And I always felt very efficacious. I could see that I could accomplish things, so I was kind of certain of that, but I never felt worthy of living, right? So I, like, But then it's like, how does that relate to the quote? Was it a feeling of inadequacy or was it a feeling of being powerful beyond measure? I think I particularly had issues because I could see how powerful I was from even a very young age and I didn't feel worthy of that power, right? And I think that is sort of the root of this issue, right, for many people. Um, So it doesn't directly relate, but that's sort of how I connect to it because, it was so obvious for me, right? It was such like, it was like my soul was ripped in half, right? Whereas for other people, it might not be that extreme, but it's this idea of they know their ability. Are they worthy of their own ability? And so it's like their fear isn't that they're inadequate. Their fear is that they're too inadequate for their own ability. So maybe it's more of like that contrast rather than a, than a specific segment of it.
0: This makes you think about... Um something that I talked to a therapist about, which is, and it was something that you mentioned to me, which is that there's two things that might be, can, might look contradictory, but they can be true, which is that, um, you're trying your hardest and you can do better. They might seem like they're contradictory, but they're, they're one and the same. And like, tell me if this is similar, but I get that feeling when you feel as if you have been given potential or you have been like when someone tells you, Oh, you have a lot of potential. Like, I know you're going to be, I know you're going to be X person. Or you're going to know you're going to do really, really well. And for me, it's like, Oh, I've been gifted with this, but I don't know if I have the ability to actually execute on it. And so that becomes like this old, this own prison that you put yourself in. And that's why we hear like, at least maybe in my culture, it's more possible. It's more uh, prominent, but we have like some of the top medical students that study their ass off and they might do poorly on one test and they've been told their entire lives that oh my God, you're so small, you're so small it might be so smart sorry not small um but they push themselves to the point of suicide because they're like, oh my god like I had all this potential and I didn't get to live up to it mm-hmm. um And is that something fam- is that similar of course maybe not to the same extreme, but is that similar of the feeling that you're talking about where it's like you have the potential but you don't feel like you have the ability to unearth that potential?
1: Um, so there's two sort of interrelated issues, I think with that, um, not issues with what you said, but like issues at play, so to speak. And also like, I, it was common at Waterloo at Waterloo engineering every year, there was a a suicide at least because people, it's a very competitive program. People would push themselves too hard. And so the two aspects are like, let's call it the pushing yourself with, an external measure, like grades or success or whatever. And then there's the, um, what were the two things you said in therapy? It was like, um, you're doing better, but you're doing your
0: best, but you can do
1: better. Right. Yeah. And so I think a big issue is too many people look for external validation of some sort, whether that's grades, whether that's, you know, traditional success or whatever it is and then that's when imposter syndrome can set in if if you think you're being rewarded more than you think you're worth right cuz it's also sort of i think that external sort of traditional success in many fields is a more objective measure of success right so if you're if you're very good at your job people will reward you accordingly in my view so if you're making six figures that's the society saying this is how much you're worth if you already didn't feel adequate for your own ability and then you're making six figures you're in the top you know five percent of the world's income that's just more pressure and more of a like object it's making objective the gap between your view of yourself and your own ability which is an issue but then also if that validation disappears you have nothing because you don't feel worthy of it and then it's validated. And it can undo years of of buildup in one minute because it's not built on a solid foundation of your own view of your own efficacy if it's mainly attributed or linked to external reward, which it is for a lot of people. But I think a really important point is this, you're trying your best, but you can do better, right? Because I think that's literally one of the key points. It was the key point for me because I always knew I was trying my best, but I was never good enough because I wanted perfection, right? I wanted to be as good as I could be. And I always knew I could be better. And so those are true, but you have to sort of have a different perspective on the, you're trying your best, right? Because I viewed it. I'm trying my best, but I could do better. So I'm a failure, right? Like that's the way I viewed it. That's the cycle I was stuck in for most of my life. The word that changed it for me was the word compassion, right? I have to show myself compassion and it changed the way in which I told myself, you're trying your best, right? Mm. It wasn't, you're trying your best yet you can do better. So you suck. You're like, you, you're trying your best like this. You're really trying That's important. That's what matters. You're trying as hard as you can. And of course you can do better. Right. But it changes the mindset totally. And in different sort of spiritual practices, one in particular that um, it's called shadow work. um, I've come upon this specific concept and it's very much sort of like you need to be the father and mother in your own mind. And so the stereotypical father is the one who can say you can do better. Like, push yourself, do better, go explore, reach, grow. Right. And the mother needs to say like, you're fantastic. You're perfect as you are yet. You could be better. Right. Um, and I also think, I think, so I I like thinking of it that way. I think it also makes sense in like many people's sort of traditional family setting. Not everyone has that, but it sort of does seem to, uh, you know, correlate so to speak. Um,
0: It's like a mental, mental thing that you do to keep yourself in check, right? Like everyone has different versions of that. Like some people call it a self audit every few months Mm. and things like that. This is just one, if I understand correctly, that you can use like sort of daily, almost talking to yourself as if, and you've mentioned this before, as if you're your own
1: child. Yeah. And I think that's just like, you know, an, it's a more easy framework for people to understand when they're first trying to talk to themselves in their mind or on paper or whatever, it's difficult because it's like, who am I talking to really? So for me, it was like I pretended I was my own girlfriend and I would talk as if I was like, this was the person I cared most about in the world. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I could write to myself in that way and have like what I think she would say written back to me. And provide myself with that support. For some people, it's better to think of it as like the mothering figure, right? But it's often associated with this sort of feminine energy, um, so to speak.
0: And the thing that you brought up, I think it's, I think the key, the kicker there is that a lot of this actually just stems from the fact that we tie our tie our own internal value with external value. And that's not to say external value is not important right like if you want to you know feed feed yourself and you want to start a business it's good to know that there's external value there not just internal value because mm-hmm. at the end of the day you have to sell it um but i do think that like on a daily basis there's that there's that, that saying that's been used multiple times just like be a better version of yourself every single day mm-hmm. i think it's good like your mother it, that you mentioned in your sort of mental framework in my head is the someone that says hey look are you now doing 1% worse than you were yesterday? Because everyone talks about 1% better, 1% better and how that can exponentially get better. But no one talks about how, and this is in the book, Atomic Habits, like 1% worse takes you into a downward spiral to zero just as quickly. Um, And for me, I find that if you have a very good idea of what your internal validation is, you can tell yourself, hey, look, I'm doing a little bit better, doing a little bit worse. Hey, I need to check this, I need to check that. But once you tie it to an external piece, depending on the environment at that time, you might be super valuable or or you might be not valuable at all. And right when you said, and like the best example I can think about this, and this is just off the top of my head, uh, is the person that in my head embodies that best is Warren Buffett. He has been plugging away the same way he's been plugging away since the 60s. And he's been phenomenally rich. And there are moments in which people look at him as the Oracle of Omaha, and some people like now in 2020, when like Tesla is hitting hundreds of dollars a share, they're like, oh, he's a okay boomer. Like you've totally lost track of what, um, what is valuable. And he doesn't care. Like he, every single day, he's just, I'm, I'm getting better and better. And all of his peers are like, Warren is a better person now than he's ever been before. Mm-hmm. And he's gone through the 2000s, 1987, all of 2008, where it's going up and down and he's kept the same way and he only values himself based off of how he like what he sees. And the best example that he said that sort sort of reflects what you meant is that he's like you can take away all my billions right now, right? And he's like I wouldn't be one I wouldn't be one minuscule bit less unhappy or more unhappy because I just do the same thing I did yesterday. Like it hasn't changed whatsoever. Like I don't care what external value this says, I just love doing it. And mm-hmm. so like that in my head, I like sometimes I now now that you say that I'm, I'm I almost might go, what would Warren do? Where it's just like just keep plugging away. And as long as over the long term there is some value there, don't just start plugging away at this like at VCRs right now. Like that's not gonna do well for you. Yeah. But um is that is that what you had in mind in terms of like what someone who ties themselves t- to their internal validation looks like?
1: Yeah, I think so. Right. Like the example that I think of is Howard Rourke from Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead. Right. Like he works for 20 years with no recognition and he just does his work and he thinks it's good and trusts that if it is good, eventually he'll get clients and success. Right. And that's what I think of. Right. Like I've been working on my media company for four years Everyone thinks I have made no traction at all. And it's like, no, I'm so amazed by all of the things I'm learning. But there's no, there's zero external validation, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I was paying attention to what the feedback I was getting was directly, I would have given up a long time ago, right? But it's like, I I know that I'm growing in my knowledge, that the business is advancing and that sort of thing. But I want to say that this isn't related to the mother aspect of it Um, because you sort of segued into this through the mother aspect, but this would still be in that framework, the father aspect. The mother aspect is literally, you're perfect. You're okay. Even if everything fell apart, even if you go downhill, no matter what, you're okay. You're good as you are. You're trying your best. Even if if you're 5% worse today than you were yesterday, you're trying your best and you can do better, right? So that includes the ebbs and flows and stuff, but I want to also try and bring it back to the actual quote, because I think we're still missing the key point of the quote, right, of Mm -hmm. what manifests this, what leads to all of this. It's not a fear of failure. It's not inadequacy. It's the actual power. People are terrified of like the average person is so scared of thinking about being Warren Buffett that they don't even let it cross their mind the idea that they could be that wealthy or successful, and then also not care about the money, right? When I talk about my plans that I think I'm going to be a billionaire, people get mad at me, right? And it's not like I'm, I think, so great of myself. I think like, oh, I've thought through this. Like, it's not that hard for someone with my starting point to become a millionaire. And like, I have ideas and I'm pursuing this. And there's very few people who, one, think it's possible for them, two are like rah, rah, yeah. But I think it's because that terrifies them, the idea that they could do that. And then also if they hold themselves to that standard, right, and it's again, this is sort of what, where we connected at the very start in our thinking on it is if they held them to that standard because they have this wrong framework, as soon as they're not in their own mind in full pursuit every day of that standard, they feel like a failure, right? So they're, they're so scared of being powerful beyond measure because they think then they'd have to be like leaping towards it every day. And like, you know, if I don't make a million dollars by tomorrow, I'm a failure. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's this confused thing in their mind, I think in many people's minds, but it's, again, it's, the average person like they're much more uncomfortable talking about how they could maybe make a million dollars than they'd be uncomfortable talking about how they'll be a failure for the rest of their life many of my friends are totally comfortable to talk about that they're not actually scared of that idea but for some reason they're terrified of talking to me about like yeah okay what do you like doing could that be a million dollar idea how would you do that cuz they they have a like a a warped view of what it would mean to actually think about that and try and implement that in their lives. And all of the self-help books, you know, from Gary Vaynerchuk to anyone else, all it says is you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Just get out of your own way and start doing it. And so that's sort of the, the, the framework of the quote, I think.
0: And I love that. Love everything you said about it. Um, the one piece that I want to highlight a little bit more is that it's also I think the fact that if you are powerful beyond measure, everything that you do from now forwards matters, right? Like you have the responsibility of making these big decisions. And like, if you're the next Elon Musk of the world, you deciding to be the Elon Musk is a big decision. And any day that you choose not to do that, you feel like a failure, right? Right. And it's like, I I can think about people who don't want to be in a position of power or not just not power, a position of influence where their decision means something because they don't want to be the one who's held or validated by other people because of that. Like they don't want to be the one who makes decisions on restrictions. They might have an opinion on it, but hell no, I don't want to be the one making that decision, right?
1: Most people don't even want to be in that position with only their own life. Exactly. want to be in total control of their own life, it's too scary to actually realize that every moment you're deciding things, every moment you're choosing how to live your life, right?
0: And the best example, and you highlighted a little bit at the end um, with the million dollars, is I think that's why so many people are afraid to look at personal finance or tell anyone about how much money they make, or how much money they have. Because right now, that is the only, like, I don't I want to say objective, but I mean inaccurate way of measuring someone's use to the world, right? The best way is like, oh, if you do useful stuff, people should technically pay you, right? So if you have a lot of money, that means you're you're worth a lot. If you have no money, that means you're worth less. And so some people, like, it's better not to look at their finances than it is to, like, get out of a bad situation just because you no longer have that responsibility. And I think that's huge. Like, I I didn't actually frame it that way, so I appreciate you (laughs) going through and explaining it that way.
1: Yeah, no problem. And I think it makes sense. and I'd go like one other important point about this fear is, again, they're, they're scared of actually being in total control of their own life. And from a young age, we've been taught to like listen to people, right to do what we're supposed to do, not to think and you know run our own lives, so to speak. But also, people don't have certainty that they're good, right? So we, I talked about self-esteem. Am I worthy of living and I, am I able to live? Most people, again, it's like a negative feedback loop because they don't think they're worthy to live. They don't know what it would mean to be certain that they're a good person, that they're that they are good. And then God forbid, they're actually powerful beyond measure and can influence their own life or all of like a, a whole sector of the economy or whatever it is, because they don't actually have a solid framework of what they think is good. So because so they're not, they don't even want to take two steps in their own control because they don't know. They're not certain they're good, right? Mm-hmm. And that brings up just an interesting sort of example, um, another business example, where Steve Jobs says said one of the things like, everything around you was designed by someone to be there. Like the world around you, almost everything was created by people just like you, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, most people are terrified of that right? They want to just live in the world for all of these reasons. But a central thing is they don't, they're not certain they're good, which is, you know, another issue. But the the whole thing is, no, you are good. Odds are most people, most people are good or are deep down good. Not literally everyone. I don't think. And, literally and, everyone. and money
0: or success, all it does is amplify that. Right. And if you have the belief that like you as a human being, you're flawed, you're going to make mistakes. And like, of course that might be like, maybe flawed might be in excess, but you're going to make mistakes. Sure. Right. That's just being human. But the, they might think that like, Hey, if I'm making mistakes now, you give me immeasurable power or you give me immeasurable, like measurable resources, I'm just going to make it worse. Right. And that, that it becomes a justification, even though it's not a very good one. Cause it's like, if you have all these opinions and you feel like you can change the world, um, having unlimited resources, only a plus. Right um so it becomes a difficult process for them to like justify that
1: yeah and I think what was the first thing you said because you yeah what was the first part of what you just said uh the one right now yeah
0: um oh man those are the worst questions when you just have to repeat exactly what you just said sorry um it's fine uh hold on let me just replay it back um that's hilarious (laughs) Um, Um, oh it's the fact that and sometimes I just have to start riffing and I'll find it uh, is the fact that if you believe that there you go if you believe that you are a flawed human being and everything um, and if you believe that you're a flawed human being they do things they're like hey you give me more power my mistakes just become amplified and so they try to make the justification that nobody should have any power or nobody should have any influence and that's just the wrong approach
1: and right. And again, it becomes, okay, so why are they more scared of their power versus like feeling inadequate? And it's because they also, the biggest kind of issue in the average person's mind is they fail to separate errors in judgment from errors in knowledge. And so when they, cause that's why, you know, when people say everyone is flawed, I don't necessarily agree. And I know you stipulated that as well, but people make mistakes, people have lacking knowledge, but that's different than making a decision you shouldn't have made and knowing it, right? And that's what people too often conflate the two, which is then really demoralizing. If you think every time you make an error in knowledge, Mm -hmm. you're a moral failure. That's something I was like lucky about growing up. Again, like I happened to like, if someone corrected me and I had the wrong data, okay, just accept it and move forward, right? It was hard for people to actually get that through to my head. But when it did, then, you know, I didn't feel like I was um, a bad person. A good example, I learned how to spell clothes in grade 11. I didn't feel bad. I was like, how did no one teach me this, right? Like, it's not my <laughs> fault. I didn't feel like an idiot or something, right? I just didn't have knowledge and now I do.
0: But a lot and of people, for, And just for people listening, you just missed the E and said cloths. You didn't like yeah, I just clothes no in any other way. <laughs>
1: until I was 17 years old and no one ever corrected me. And I was like, this is nuts when I found out. But most people would like really beat themselves up even with something sim- as simple as that. And then let alone like, you know, a big- miss a big error in knowledge right but many people know that they also do for like because of fear because of whatever do also make errors in judgment they purposely go against what they think to be right and so but like there's such a mess there um and again if you actually understand the difference and you understand that you have total control over your own judgment that's again, scary to be in total control of your day, of everything you do. And it's almost like, even when we're talking about you're powerful beyond measure, when I think of when I first started to be in like, tot- in almost or total control of my life, each day was like, it was scary because I had to decide every minute is like, is this the best thing to do? Is this the best thing to do? Is this the best thing to do? It's It was like a lot of power to be in total, like right now I'm in total control of my life and it's terrifying, right? For the average person, though, they'd rather just be like, uh, now I have this meeting and uh, then I have to call this friend and then I have to go back to work tomorrow and like none of it's in my control, right? It's like, no, all of that's in your control and the, and you're terrified of admitting that. You're terrified of admitting how powerful you are over your own life, that every minute is your decision as to what you want to do with it if you choose to take control of it. And that's, yeah, it's terrifying to people.
0: And- there's one caveat that I know is behind what you're saying, but I think having if you have not spent multiple hours talking to you, someone would not know, is that like I spend a lot of time thinking about judgment. And at the end, and, and to sort of paraphrase your point, it's that issues in judgment are a hundred x a bigger problem than issues with knowledge. You're like almost always you have, you don't have all of the facts at one place because you have a certain amount of time in which you have to make that decision. And the more time you take, the less valuable your decision becomes. Right. So the problem is when you look back and it's like, did I make a good decision with the, with the knowledge that I have? If the answer is yes, and you find out knowledge later, you can't beat yourself up over it because you just had to choose. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But the one thing that I would say, right. Is that, Oh, hold on. The the When making decisions, and sorry, I just need a second to think about. It. When making decisions or exercising your judgment, one of the most important metrics to keep in mind is opportunity cost, right? So it's like, if I choose to hang out with my friends as opposed to do this podcast, what is the cost to me? In, in business, this is financial, but then in your own life, that might have, there's other variables that goes into it. And I think it's important to tell people that looking at your choices as ju- as as in terms of opportunity cost it's something that you can slowly scale up like you can think about okay I'm going to I'm going to have I'm going to consistently think about my opportunity cost when I'm making deals at work then it could be 9 to 5 at work then it could be in my own personal life and there are times in which thinking about that you're better off taking a 30 minute break you're better off taking an hour break you're better off taking time for yourself and allowing this opportunity cost framework in your head to sort of automatize. Because if I, I can think about like, if someone had told me, listen, you're going from nothing in your life matters to every single thing in your life matters. And if you have to make a decision, you have to find out if you're saying yes to this, you're saying no to a bunch of other things and tell me what those other things that you're saying no to, I would be freaked out. Right. I'd be like, absolutely not. This is how do I think through that, that many variables at one time. And what I would say to that is that it's a, it becomes with practice, right? Like do that with your biggest problems, and then sooner or later it becomes even easier and easier. And like startup founders, for example, because I want to have like some practical example of this. That's what they do at the end of the day, right? They try to get rid of as many of the non-impactful uh, decisions that they have, and try to get better and better at exercising this judgment call on knowing: Do I go left or right? And what is the opportunity cost of either? And of course, what is also the growth of either? And it comes with time. The best people that do this is like Warren Buffett's of the world, but they have 70 years of judgment experience, right? And if you're jumping into it, don't think it's like night and day, I have to jump from being an amazing, or I have to jump from being someone who thinks that they're fundamentally flawed and have a bunch of issues to Warren Buffett in a day. So just that little caveat of it comes with practice, it comes with automatizations in your head of understanding what your values are and things like that. And don't be thrown off about the process? Because the end goal is worth it.
1: Yeah. So I would say I essentially agree with you, but I would say I would say practice rather than experience. And also I would say, no, there is a framework to learn, right? Like there is a specific methodology of how to learn what all your values are and how to interrelate them. And to the degree you do that, aside from like actual new data like then it becomes easier to deal with each new piece of data because you know exactly what's in your life right now and some opportunity comes up and you know where it fits right and so you can do that like i spent you know a couple of years doing that extensively and so i think i'm pretty good at when a new opportunity arises i still say yes to a little bit too much and i'm working on it but knowing where in my value hierarchy it sits right and so then it becomes a process. And so people have like a lot of data already that they've not dealt with appropriately, right? So turn back and look and think about all of your life and think about what you value most, project forward what do you want the most and actually you know, take the time to know your value hierarchy so that this comes up, right? It obviously work it and get in and following your own hierarchy that takes practice but the actual figuring out what it is and then It becomes easy to weigh things against it, Um, though, again, bringing it back to the errors in judgment. Right. Like it's you have to actually do that. Right. And you have to be not mad at yourself if there is a lack of knowledge um, as well. And the one thing I'll say, the reason that those two can be confused in people's minds is because they often choose to evade knowledge and then blame it on the knowledge that they later get, which they had before or they could have suspected, right? So the most important thing about is being rational and being honest, right? Those are the two things that if you're rational and honest, then errors in knowledge aren't scary and and this sort of thing, which you have to be really steadfast on that. And I'll add one other thing, which is just a funny other way to, in a more spiritual sense, concretize the point, right? which is um, about how scary it is to be in so con- in such control of your life. There's this idea that, okay, every time I make a decision, I'm killing thousands of potential Davids. Mm-hmm. right? Like there's so many the multiverse, manifest, <laughs> right? And by making a decision, I'm killing all of those other potential Davids, all of those other uh, other dimensions, ulterior timelines or whatever it's called, right? And so like, yeah, that's terrifying to actually want and need to be certain that this is the optimal choice. And even if it's not, that's okay. It's it's terrifying to know that I have that much power to manifest my own life. Right. But that's across the board. That's the piece of advice. Right. That's the piece of advice. You have total and absolute control over your own life, unless you're living under physical coercion. So if you're a slave, if you're in a dictatorship, there are situations that prevent that. But generally speaking, most people, certainly most people listening to this, are in control of their life to a large degree. And actually this just, this just came up on a TikTok. I was, I was talking to someone on TikTok and it's also important to separate them out. What is in my control? What isn't in my control? Right? Thank you. Because literally, I was just about everything. to say that. Yeah. So there's a, a, a serenity prayer, which is famous. Um, like, it's something like, God grant me the, God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change, the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. I and it's such a powerful quote. And the thing is, people confuse the two. And so fail to understand how much power they have, but they also don't want that much power. So they lump stuff in and, oh, I can't change my job. What do you mean? And like that kind of stuff. And so it's very important to separate this out. And it's actually a core, like a, a big message in, in objectivism as well as this separation that she calls it the metaphysical versus the man made.
0: And I I made a similar tweet about it, and that's Randy Prayer probably worded it better than I did. <laughs> but um, it was something that I had to get over, which is I was I prided myself, or I don't even know if that's a word, but I I I was super proud about how much of an internal locus of control I had, where I was like, okay, like if something goes wrong, what could I do to change it? But along the lines, it started changing into I am responsible for the outcomes. And what I find is that it's actually that you are in control of your decisions. You're not necessarily in control of the outcomes, right? Like, like if, if a hurricane hits, right, there's nothing you could have done to change it, but what you did in order to prepare, that's up to you. Um, And I think that's a, that's a really important distinction to make. And the other thing is, and this is for, this is almost the message to me, like a few, uh, two years ago, right. Is don't be upset. Like I talk about how judgment is much more important than than the actual lapses in knowledge are. Mm -hmm. But when you're starting the process, don't be upset if your judgment was wrong, right? Like one of the places where I would shoot myself in the foot was like, oh, I knew better. I should have known how to make this decision. But a better way to frame that is to say, hey, look, I went from – not exercising my judgment whatsoever and just choosing almost like short end of the stick or what is it? Like choosing an option or whatever. And now I went to thinking it through. And if I've made the wrong decision, that's okay. I can I need to look back and be like, okay, where was my judgment clouded? What sort of distortions do I have in my mind? Things like that. And that's still part of the process of getting better. Where sooner or later, it becomes less about Your judgment, and more about, hey, I need to start acquiring knowledge, and that 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 conversation starts to change depending on where your weaknesses are. But the reason why I say that is that, like, if I had met you earlier on in my maturity, I would have been either thought you were batshit crazy, or you'd have been really intimidating. Because I can think about me having these conversations with friends, being like, I don't have the time to go through the calculation of where does this fit on my values, which one do I do? And I was like, Hey, you have to do that once to start, but he's, but I'm like, I do that now. And I don't even know that I do that now until you ask me to talk it through. Right. And telling people that that's a journey and that's a process, I think is important. So they aren't so afraid and be like, fuck, I don't do, I don't think the way that, um, I don't think the way that David thinks, or I don't think the way that Winston thinks, or I don't think the way that my friend thinks. Right.
1: Well, the, the fact is they do, they do make these decisions every time they try, anytime they decide to do something. They're deciding to not do a thousand other things. They just have no idea why, <laughs> right?
0: Or no one's told them that like, when I first heard that like, a yes is a no to a thousand other things, I was like, what? Like no one ever told me this. And so it's right. like.
1: But in terms of it being like scary to see, seem like you're exerting extra effort, just like the planning of it, the figuring it out once is the extra effort, but then it actually becomes easier because in any given moment, people are anxious because they don't know where this decision fits. And so it's actually more work what people are doing now by not having this figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanna add a caveat, caveat, whatever, um, to what you said, because I think that's where it gets difficult in each person's mind about, was this really an error in judgment or knowledge? Because the way you phrase it, I'd actually still classify that as an error in knowledge. But the point you were making still holds that after I wanted to stop making errors in judgment, I still did. And I was really harsh on myself and and this sort of thing. And I had to learn, okay, my judgment has changed, but I have 20 years of automatizations that push me to use my old judgments, Right. And so it's a battle and that needs to be trained. But I want to just highlight in each situation, those can still be errors in knowledge. And it really is an individual by individual basis. But I just want to highlight that even some of those can still be errors in knowledge. But yes, like you have it's not like all of my judgments are are enacted fully right No, And that's the toughest part. And what really I think when people again, people, it's, it's also about they're scared of how powerful they are because they don't realize they can totally change their personality. People have total control over it. They can be, lit, like when you can be whoever you wanna be, it's not like, oh, I can be a doctor or an astronaut. It's like design your ideal personality and then create it in yourself. You have that ability and that's terrifying for people to realize. But in particular, I know a lot of people who get stuck, they initiate that process and then they get stuck because every time they use their old judgment, they beat themselves up, they call themselves miserable, they tear themselves down again, right? And so then they're just they're totally stuck at like wishing they were different than they are. And that brings it back to like the the mother, the growth mindset type thing, right? Um,
0: and I also think it's like where don't go back to the environment where you made that bad decision, right? like if if you're making bad decisions after multiple drinks, Probably stop going to the bar. Right, yeah, <laughs> like That's there's there's that there's that aspect of it as well. It's just that like you could have all the right reasons to change, but if you don't cultivate the environment around you to fit that, um, like I want to be a clean person. I want to be someone who's very nice to people. And you have roommates that are messy as hell and addict to you when you come downstairs. Yeah. Good luck, <laughs> right? This, it's possible, but you're not doing your, yourself any favors.
1: This really resonates with me and brings up another quote um, because. I tried multiple times in university to start being a better person. And it was so hard because I had an environment around me where everyone treated me like a jerk. And, like, you know, they were mean to me. So I'm going to defend myself. So I was mean back or whatever. And it was tough. Like, I literally tried and no one gave me any credit that I was trying. And so I just fell back into old habits. And, This isn't directly related, but the quote that like kind of represents that in my mind, it's a quote from Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. And it's like, if you let other people's perceptions of you dictate your behavior, you'll never change as a person. And again, that's about if you let them control you, you have to understand you're in control. But... Being in an environment with a lot of people, it's easy to give them that control. If I'm surrounded by 50 people who treat me based on how I am or was, not how I want to be. And that's also why I and many people love traveling. You can like test your new personality. No one knows who you are. People move to new cities and stuff. Um, It's because you can't, it's a lot easier. You're not getting all of these sort of feedback mechanisms of who they think you are. That's also at the core of, like, why people have issues with their parents, because their parents treat them how they like use... Like
0: they're your children, yeah. And and you can, like, it's a, like that reputation is a double-edged sword, right? Like, if you've started to build a good reputation, it's amazing, because now people, like, anytime they sit and talk to you, they know all about David, and so when they sit down and feel like, I can trust David, values are very important to him, like, those type of things, but if you've done a poor job for a few like a few years, a few months, a few days, whatever it is, depending on that the scale at which you change is probably going to be different, but it's like get up and move. It's like your way of declaring bankruptcy and just being like I want a fresh new slate to start on. Mm-hmm. Um and like a, a lot of the time it's probably the best for you. Like for me that was switching going into university and then leaving university, that was like two big changes. Um, And so if there's anyone who's seen me from elementary school, high school, I've been a different person. I promise I'm not that same person anymore.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely different than I was in university. But I'll also say to anyone who's currently struggling with this, like, I totally get it because, you know, I worked excessively hard for three years to change who I was and who I wanted to be. And I still then decided that I needed to leave the country to test it out, to get into those habits, because there was still too much routine. It was very difficult. And at the time I was I was mad at myself. I, was, I felt weak that I had to leave in order to enact this uh, new self, but it's what I had to do. And it was the most important thing to me was to be this person, right?
0: And I think I that even- like, that's the perfect place to show what our message sort of wrapped up is. And you kind of already alluded to a little bit before, which is that, If you were to say it as simply as possible, it's you can do it, right? It's you can do it. But the more nuanced way to say that would be that like the first step in change is saying you want to make that change. Um, And not just saying you want to make that change, understanding that that change is possible, like you need to change that idea. And if you don't think the change is possible, there's nothing on the planet that you can do that's going to change that. Um, And knowing that it's a process, it's it's not a flip of the switch that right away the next day, it starts to work, right? Um, and from what I gather, it's also take, take some time to audit yourself and look by in whatever, whatever way that looks like, whether that's just sitting down and writing down all your friends and finding out what their pros and cons, whether it's the mother and father thing that you talked about, or just sitting down and talking to your loved ones about who's good for you and who's not like, that's probably the best place to start to figure out, okay, like I am powerfully on measure. I need to know that before I even start taking any reasonable step towards trying to facilitate and actually embody that?
1: Uh, so I, I have two semi-disagreements there actually. So okay, absolutely. one is like definitely something, you want to prove your own efficacy, right? You can't just sort of tell yourself, you need to try a little bit, right? And you want you have to like show yourself through evidence that you are able to be powerful and that it's okay and that you are good and that it's okay right? So you want to start taking little steps um, as soon as you feel comfortable, right? So you feel 5% powerful, do a 5% thing or a 1% thing, right? And the other thing I'll say is people should check out our episode on values, because we go through sort of your values uh, through omission thing. But then I present two frameworks of how to think about this. And I think they're really good for this, right? Because one is, when, like, what is your ideal day when you're 65? Plan that out and then manifest it and work. And know you literally have the ability to do that. You probably have the ability to do that within five years, like as long as you don't want, like, you know, a $10 million home, so to speak, right? But in terms yeah. of how you spend your time, think about that ideal day. And there's no reason you can't manifest that. Start working towards it. And on the other side, I put forward, and they should listen to the whole description, but take a day to see what you like doing and understand it's okay to do the things you like doing and then see, Oh, I wanted to do this thing. It felt good. And I achieved it. Boom. Right. So. I just don't want to
0: like, and I understand what you're saying. And I think we're all like, I don't want to have the end of our episodes just be, you know, caveat on caveat on caveat. Um, All i meant to say is that like, and there was something that my therapist told me, which is that like, it's impossible to change someone if they don't want to be changed right? Like you can do positive reinforcement, things like that. But if I don't think I have a drinking problem, I'm not going to take any small steps to, and I'm not saying I have a drinking problem, but, uh, I'm not going to take any small steps to change that if I don't think it's a problem, right? Like, it's like, if, like, if it's so ingrained in me that like, no human being is powerful beyond measure, that's probably in my head, like the step that you got to sort of tackle a little bit before you even start making little steps. Cause otherwise you have no reason to.
1: Yeah. Can I add one random other thought? Sure. Now we can't get into um, another reason people think humans can't be powerful is because they think like there's a framework in our culture of like well humans can't be powerful relative to God that's omnipotent so we are little powerless things and if 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 people listening do think that you know they're the playthings of the gods or whatever then naturally you'll feel powerless right if you think you because there are people who literally think they don't have power and so it's important to sort of understand that and that's why I like that Steve Jobs quote I I brought up because the world around us was created by people just like us just like you right and so like whether or not you believe in a god there's a lot of stuff that humans do have power over and it's very evident
0: it's not and I don't I think it's not powerful powerless there's like there's something in between there right of like of levels of power Uh, like there's, it's not just if God is great, that means humans are worthless. Like there might be, at least the way that I see that conversation, I'm like, there has to be something in between. Like, don't just jump into all or nothing. Right. But, um, any other pieces that you want to add, uh, David, before you wrap up?
1: Nope. Awesome. Listeners, let us know what you think.
0: Absolutely. And I'm happy to get this season started, uh, getting kicked off. Awesome. David. Talk to you soon, man.
1: Cool.